You might have noticed a change in your neighborhood lately. Yep, Sprint stores are now T-Mobile stores. Now that Sprint is T-Mobile, you get more coverage, value, and benefits than ever before. We've invested billions to bring our 5G from big cities to small towns across America. And great coverage is just the start. From high-speed mobile hotspot data to weekly deals and giveaways, our customers get tons of great benefits. Head to your new T-Mobile store to learn more. Qualifying service and capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain plan or features. See T-Mobile.com. Hello. She's worked with some of the biggest names in sports and business. Her firm, Blue Sky Sports and Entertainment, is the only woman-owned company to represent National Hockey League coaches and team executives. She's the youngest member, or she was the youngest member of Wolf Associates before founding her own agency in 2003. Kim Sayati, the woman who created Flutie Flakes, is the go-to person for endorsements, media representation, event planning, and more. Her client list is long and storied. She's worked with Cam Neely, Carlton Fisk, Dennis Eckersley, Doug Flutie, Carl Lewis, Brad Marchand, and many more. Her key staff members are gifted multitaskers, in other words, female. Welcome, Kim. I feel like we're coming full circle. It's been 15 years since we met by telephone. I know. Thank you, Debbie. I appreciate you um, asking me to participate. I'm, I'm always excited and willing to help other women in the industry. And yes, we worked on a project a long time ago, and I'm glad we've been able to, to stay in touch all these years. Well, when you started your business and began working in sports marketing, were you, were there any other women that were in it that time? Um, not really. I mean, there really weren't that many women in the industry at that time. I, I remember um, when I was just starting out, I had one instance, I recall a funny story comes to my mind when um, I had a hockey player, actually, it was Yannick Perot, who um, went on to have a very long, you know, long um, NHL career, but at the time was playing for the IHL for the Phoenix Roadrunners. And I had an issue. I had a, um, a visa issue and I had called the general manager and said, you know, I have, we need some documentation. He's going to get stuck at the border. If you don't, if I don't get it, he's not getting there. And his response was, what? Bleep, 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 bleep. Whose secretary is this that's calling me? And why, why are you calling me and not basically my male boss? Um, and I remember just very, you know, taking a deep breath and saying, no, I'm the one who's handling this. And, um, need to um, get this resolved because we want to make sure he gets there safely and on time because you won't be happy if he's not on time. Um, <clears throat> and then several years, many years later, I got a call from that same general manager who was looking for help for this contract for an NHL team. And I said, I have a funny story to tell you, um, told that we had a good laugh. It was just, you know, it was part of yeah. the what was happening at the time. There weren't a lot of men, women in the industry. And so they were used to that if a woman called, it was really somebody's assistant. Um, so no, there weren't a lot, not a lot of women. Um, I'm so happy to see that things are changing and changing at a much quicker, rapid pace than they had been. I would say in the last two to three years, we've seen a massive escalation of an appreciation for women in high level executive roles. Um, which I've known for 25 years is certainly doable and they can really not only succeed, but take the 
um, the entities which they work for to, to new levels. So it's it's a very exciting time. Oh, even, excuse me, even from the media side, when I first started working in the Wayne Gretzky years, I don't recall see, ever seeing another woman in the <clears throat> press box or the dressing room at that time. And now they're, they're in the NFL, they're anchoring, they're doing play by play. And I went on Twitter one day and saw this list of all these women just covering the NHL and the NFL. And I actually started to cry because I thought, wow, <clears throat> long were the days when Shirley Fischler had to take the NHL to court to get access to uh, even the press box. <laughs> it seems so ridiculous that what it took as long as it did. And I think, you know, people are just creatures of habit more than anything. A lot of times I, I like to think that a lot of it wasn't really intentional. It's just kind of like it's the way it is and nobody wanted to change it and everybody wanted to keep it the way it was. Um, so often people say to me, you know, how has it been? Do the athletes have an issue? The athletes have never had an issue dealing with women. Honestly, they they are at the pinnacle of their sport and they really just want things done correctly. Um, <clears throat> It's never been the athletes. I mean, going back to when I first got in the business, our big clients were Doug Gilmore, Grant Fuhr, Brian Fogarty, Cam Neely. Um, Yannick was an early client. And, and, you know, they never had an issue. It was really the men that were in the business side of things that were, I think, a little bit threatened, right? Not knowing, what does this mean? Is this going to mean my job's going to be? You know, is this job taking, putting my job in jeopardy or anything like that, which was very interesting because honestly, the athletes, because most of my clients are male, I've often been the first one to know when they're getting engaged, when they're getting married, when they're having a baby, they have an issue, um, getting divorced. They will confide in you in a different way. And I think that specifically for the agency I was working for at the time, they realized that pretty quickly. But I also had a, um, when I worked at Wolf Associates, I had a boss who, was not afraid of strong women and actually liked to surround himself with strong women. Um, he was the kind of guy you could go to and say, hey, I have this idea. I think we should be doing X, Y, Z and it would make us better, stronger, more organized and go do it, make it happen. And and so he, he realized by having these strong women around that it created a, um, a stronger bond with the client because the relationship between sort of the male counterpart agent that might be doing the team contract part and me that they would they often didn't know anything about the player other than what time are you playing tonight or oh you know it's a great game you had a couple goals three three assists whatever it was they weren't relating on the same level and it was really i think resulting in much stronger relationships and longer longer um, representation these guys weren't leaving agents they were staying. Um, so, you know, there had definitely, I was very lucky in that I worked in an agency that really, I think, empowered the women that were there. There weren't many of us. We weren't all doing the same thing. There were a few, I would say, three women that were in the, and probably in the, in the 50 person company, probably three women that were at a higher level in the executive role, um, one in consulting. Um, one in um, kind of doing sales more on the business side of it for the consulting side and, and then me. Um, so that's a very long-winded answer, but. <laughs> oh, wow. 
So how do you think your law career would have been different if you hadn't gotten into sports marketing? Oh, geez. I originally went to law school with the intention of becoming a litigator. I worked for a um, insurance defense firm when I first started law school. And, um, you know, I probably would have went on to be a litigator. I, I, I sort of liked that kind of I have a little bit of a fighter in me, you know, um, and I sort of I fell into the into the sports. I wasn't planning on it. I just walked into it. But I was a figure skater growing up. I was used to being around hockey players. I were I was a rink rat. I worked in the snack bar. Um, <clears throat> if I wasn't skating, I was I was just there all the time. So hockey was a natural way for me to enter into the industry because I did not treat these guys any different. It was like for me, it was just kind of like, OK whatever, you're just the next hockey player that has a smelly hockey bag. And like, it wasn't really, and honestly, they appreciated that kind of treatment. They didn't want to be treated any differently. They just want to know the work is getting done, getting done well, and that, that there's a comfort level there because they don't, they don't want to be, they don't want the people that they're surrounding themselves with to be fans. They want them to be focused on the, the task at hand. So um, it was easy for me to enter through hockey because of the skating background. Um, but I, I guess I would probably be, probably be working with Yeah. So, so now the clients that you work with now with your agency, are most of them retired or do you handle contracts for? No, no. So, <clears throat> um, you know, some of them are retired, but not all of them. We have a lot of, um, current Bruins players and Patriots. We, we definitely have a very strong hold in New England, um, although our players are all across the country because they don't stay in one place. And what we do is we really specialize in the marketing. So anything the player does off the ice, off the field, endorsement, sponsorship, licensing, um, media contracts, if they go into um, broadcast after they after they play, or sometimes they will, will be involved in, you know, if they're out of, out, you know, they get knocked out of the playoffs or something. It could be something they could do in broadcast and that, and that too. But um, no, so they're they're we're here in Boston, but they're not just hockey. And and then um, really and truly, you can't you're not supposed to represent coaches and players for contract negotiations. Although there are a number of people that do it, that really shouldn't be doing it. Um, so what's what happened was it's sort of a natural kind of migration as you will so as they've continued they've retired like the guys that retire can retire go on to maybe work for the team or they go work in broadcast so they'll take a couple of years off and do nothing or be in business then they get back in and oftentimes we'll we will then go from working with them in, in the marketing to doing their team contract so that's uh, how you get around the coach uh, player aspect. Yes. yeah so that's kind of how the, the going from player to retired, then back into the the business side of the of the mm -hmm. hockey world. So, so what is that translation transition like for some of them? I I mean, not all of them get to go into broadcasting or coach. Uh, I can imagine once you've had your dream job and it's your identity on top of that, how do you deal with that when it's over? It can be very, it's very tough for these guys. Um, I think it also depends on how they go out, right? So if they have got a long career and they're retiring um, by their choice, maybe it's because they just, you know, they're getting older, they can't keep up with the younger guys. 
versus being injured and being forced to retire. You know, so in camp retirement, it's very different being so young and so talented and being forced to retire due to injury versus, you know, um, <clears throat> Grant going through his whole career and retiring as a result of just kind of get, you know, peaking and having that natural um, bell curve of his career being on the end, end of it. Um, and it's really like, you know, every guy's a little bit different. It depends on what their family life is at home, what they might want to do when, or, um, in Cam's instance, he, he went into broadcasted a little bit of work for Nesson, um, did not love it. Um, took a couple of years off, um, worked, did some little business and then joined, went back to the team as an ambassador. And then from there went from ambassador to vice president role to president role. So, um, it really depends on, you know, I mean, and he wanted to stay in Boston and not wanting to. And, and also, too, where is your family after traveling for so many years? Sometimes they don't they don't want to relocate for a job. Um, some may want to coach, some may not want to coach, again, depending on what age their children mm -hmm. are at. Again, getting back into that travel lifestyle can be can be a challenge. And some guys just need the time off before they go back into coaching because you, when you're retiring and you still sort of feel like you could do it, you want to jump over the boards and play and show the guys how to do it. So it just really depends on where they are um, mentally and why they're retired, at what point in their career, and what their family life is at home is usually the biggest impact on decision-making processes for where they end up next. So are you part of that career counseling part do you help them with I mean, we definitely definitely talk about it um whether it's hockey baseball um about what you know sometimes it's walking them through the process of like okay why are you retiring now and do you want to go out on your terms or somebody else's terms so definitely that that is something that um you know i wouldn't say i mean i don't want to say call it counseling but really just talking it through with them mm -hmm. I, Try to make sure they encourage them, you know, talk to their spouse about all the what ifs. What does this mean? What is this going to look like? Um, how's your life going to change? So um, they do, you know, rely on you as a confidant. Um, but I wouldn't say, you know, I try to help steer their thought process rather than, you know, saying like you should do X, Y, or Z. It's really they have to make a decision. But making sure they're just really thinking it through well. Um, and that that process of actually thinking through that process is very helpful to when that decision gets made versus just kind of making it kind of, oh, nobody's offered me a contract, now I have to retire versus, mm -hmm. you know, thinking about it, you know, you might be getting towards the end of your career. What would you want to do post-career days? Not, it doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow, but if they start to thinking about it a little bit sooner, it makes that transition much easier. I don't know about football and baseball because they went to college. <clears throat> most, <Yeah. clears throat> excuse me, most of them went to college before they came to a team. But in hockey, especially if when they went through the junior ranks, they're all I know is hockey. They don't really know much else. But every, just I would say ninety, well, almost a hundred percent of the players that I talked to while they were playing, they they had the same answer as you know especially when they're getting near the end of the career uh what do you, have you thought about what you're going to do for retirement and oh i'll cross that bridge when i get there they won't yeah. think of it until it really lands on their doorstep but the rare person will i think ronnie stern i interviewed him for my book and 
and uh, he had a plan set out like three years prior and yeah but some of most of them they 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 don't want to think about it they just want to think about playing yeah it's a difficult thing to have it's kind of like um <clears throat> i sort of liken it to when people say do you have a will right nobody wants to talk about it because it's kind of it has a little bit of morbidity to it and that's sort of like when you have your dream career and then you know that that's going to come to an end it's not like you're an accountant and you can do that until you're 85 right so um, it's it's tough, and it's you know even if you just planting the seeds to think about like what would that might look like. It's not tomorrow. Don't think about it as tomorrow. Don't think about it's not necessarily next year. But you know whether it's investing in a business or um, you know planning for if you have kids. Like, do you want to be involved? Like sometimes as simple as saying like, do you want to be involved in youth sports with your children? It gives them a purpose um, for something to look forward to. And those are things that even just with like the youth youth sport involvement, things they may remember of their father being involved. Um, and um, they might want to coach in, at, you know, at a, at a at starting at like a prep school level or something like that or whatever. So um, I think that reason they don't think about it is because it is kind of like almost like a death to them. Um, <laughs> Because it is just something, you know, and if you're, you know, thinking about this, dreaming about this from the time you're 12, 13 years old, you know, um, and now all of a sudden you're 36 and you're going to be retired, it's, that's a, that's a difficult thing. And you still have your whole life ahead of you. Right. So what kinds of things do you look for in a client? Um, my, I would say... Uh, ideal client would be good communication. That is key. I don't care. I tell them, like, I don't even care if you're mad at me and you want to call and yell at me. I would rather have you do that than hold it in and not communicate. And I think for, like, I really try to educate them before that they come on board with me. Like, this is how I work. This is what what's important. This is what's not important. Um, what is the best way to reach you? Do you prefer, you know, that I, I call or text? I mean, I would prefer to get on the phone with people because you're not really going to build a relationship with via text message or email. Um, but good communication and have a good understanding of what this side of the business is, means. The side on the ice is one thing or on the field is one thing. You've got to do your job and then the rest will sort of fall into place to a certain extent, but you got to take it seriously. Um, you have to want to do it and being honest. If there's something I call and you don't want to do it, tell me. I don't, I'm not going to be offended, but I don't want to wait five days to hear the answer is no, because one, you may be taking an opportunity away from a teammate that might be second choice. Or if the answer is no, because you have other you have a conflict or whatever, if we get back to that corporate client immediately, they're more inclined to call the next time. Geez, um, Brad's unable to do this because he's, um, already committed that day. However, you know, getting back within 24 hours, they're like, "Oh, we totally get it and understand." They may say, "Oh, we really want him. We really want him. We're willing to change the date." Mm -hmm. Two, um, thank you for the quick response. We will definitely call you again. So, communication is really the most important thing. And then the other thing is that I guess just personality and people. Like I'm a people person, but I, I'm very fortunate at this point in my career that I want to work with good people. I'm not interested in taking on a client that has um, maybe not a good reputation with how they treat women or um, they, they may be um, 
um, just generally have may not be a great person. Like to me, that it's more. I'm really looking for good people because then I can honestly and wholeheartedly recommend them for things because I believe in them and I believe that they can do the job. If someone is constantly late or they're not respectful or I send them a, a memo saying you need to be dressed appropriately business attire and they're showing up in a t-shirt, a like that to me is, it could be that, that one instance could be somebody who's just maybe young and still learning, but that's a lack of respect. So, mm -hmm. you know, having those types of individuals where I know where I can say A, B, C, D is what's happening. And then they're, they're on point and they take it seriously. Um, that that's important. So good people organized, great communicator and just taking the side of the business, you know, and, and, and being, when I try to teach them that side of the business, being educated that like an educated client is the best for me. So what makes a good sports marketing agent? Um, great multitasker. You have to be able to multitask. Like there's a million things happening at one. Organized. You have to be thoroughly organized. I think obviously communication is key in any business. I don't care what business you're in, but being a good communicator. Um, and I think really um, a good listener, listening to um, the corporate client. What are your needs? What can I do to make Get running this fall at Dunkin' with $2 medium iced coffees from 2 to 6 p.m. Try any of Dunkin's delicious iced coffee, like their signature original blend. Or treat yourself to mocha, caramel, or the fall favorite, pumpkin. Always freshly brewed, made just the way you like it. Make time for happy hour and enjoy a $2 medium iced coffee from 2 to 6 p.m. Washington, D.C. runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusions apply. Support for this episode has been provided by George Washington's Mount Vernon. Offering 160 wide-open, wanderable acres, Mount Vernon invites you to connect with over 200 years of history. Far more than a mansion, the first president's estate is home to four picturesque gardens and shaded woodland trails, even a cruise of the Potomac River. Visit mountvernon.org to learn more. To save 20% on tickets, use promo code OPEN. Your job, a bit, essentially, I'm trying to make their job easier by finding them the right fit. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, listening to how they expect the event to roll out, asking the right questions. Um, I mean, that's really what I think the, the key thing is. I a lot of people in my, um, that do this job are not. Um, so for me, I have a, a secondary layer of, um, you know, fiduciary duty to my clients. Um, I take very seriously how we do business, structured, organized. We only do things the right way. Um, we, in the 27, almost 27 years I've been in this business, I've never had an athlete not get paid. I'm not about to have it happen now. But it's really been to a lot of that. And even when, you know, or there have been various companies that have worked within hockey, for instance, for a long time, um, there's one in particular, I don't want to say specific names where athletes, well, I haven't gotten paid for them right away. They've always paid my athletes. I've never had a problem with them getting paid. Maybe we had to work something out where they sent a little bit each month or something like that. But, you know, companies go through sometimes periods mm -hmm. where they might have a little bit of cash flow issue. And my, my thought is just generally, if, if there's great communication, there's always a way to find a solution. So, 
Um, yeah. So the other aspect of sports marketing that's a little different than some other market, well, maybe, maybe not so. You've got copyright issues, of course, but yeah. you also have players whose brand is also their identity. And so you not everybody can just use their face on an advertisement. And I guess you can't really use people's faces without their permission, but it's a little different with an athlete, I think. And also, sometimes you got a double whammy where not only do you have to get permission to use his face or her face, you have to get permission to use the team's logo. <laughs> so explain that dynamic and how complicated that can be, or is it not as complicated as it sounds? Um, it's not, I don't, it's not as quite, quite as complicated as it can sound. I mean, I think really and truly is just getting an understanding for um, a corporation, what it is they want to do, right? So that's the first thing, like, what is the region? Is it regional? Is it local geographically? Is it national? Where is it going to appear? Is it, is it, um, you know, is name like this image, is it just for print? Is it for social media? Is it for television, radio, um, you know? out of home, billboards, whatever. So, um, and then once you kind of understand that is understanding, you know, what the value of the athlete is, right? So there's lots of different athletes in different markets that are different values and the bigger names are gonna get compensated, you know, more aggressively than the ones that are lesser known. So understanding a budget, where you wanna be, how much you can spend, how much you wanna spend and just finding the right match. And then as far as, you know, the logo usage, um, you'd have to be a team sponsor for that. We don't, players don't have a right to grant um, intellectual properties for the teams. They can use their name and their number together because one number by itself doesn't have any meaning paired with the player, it has a meaning. So you can, you can use, you know, you could say in a particular market, um, you know, Brad Marchand 83, uh, but 83 by, 63, 63 by itself doesn't, doesn't make it, doesn't make any, doesn't may have any um, value. So that's, that's permissible, but you know, they have to take marks off of it and we help them with that. Like what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. It can't be, you can't take the Bruins jersey and just yeah. take a block of the logo. <laughs> yeah, you know, so it just, and again, too, it's, it's, it depends how it's being used and what it's used for. Um, if it's a charity doing something like this, and then, you know, oftentimes the team wants to have their players be out in the market doing good things for the community. And so they sometimes will, will grant permission, permission to use their logo. It just depends on, you know, but doing it the right way, approaching it up front, not doing it and hoping you don't get caught. I mean, there are certainly a number of, companies that say, oh, I'm just going to do this and hope that nobody sees it. It's not the right way to approach anything. Nobody wants to be getting cease and desist letters and then a, a potential, um, you know, litigation to come in after that. But um, it's it's not all that, not all super complicated if you have the right person that you're working with and can explain and walk you through the process. And that's, I mean, it comes up every day and we do that all the time. And um once they have a you know an understanding of how to use it and, and oftentimes we'll give them a million suggestions on okay you can't do this but here are five other ways you can say this or do this and um and, and it helps um allow them to give them more flexibility to 
you know, use those rights that they have in a way that makes sense for them. Awesome. So I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot here. <laughs> do leagues do a good job of marketing players? No. no. Yeah, I didn't think so. <laughs> um, they will pick a couple of guys and use them. Um, not, not really. Um, you know, and again, it's not really their job to, and to a certain extent. I mean, their, their job is to market the league, not to market particular and individual players. Um, that's why it's important to have a marketing representative. Um, they're all, I mean, also too, I mean, there's, if you ask me, do agents do a good job of marketing players? Some do, a lot do not. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, a lot of times with what I have found over the years is that, um, a player has a contract agent. That's the first agent that they get, right? And so they get their first deal. Um, and the agent says, I'm only going to charge you 5% or 10% of marketing um, when the going rate is actually 20%. And, um, but I'm going to charge you 4% of your contract. And so what they really care about is the 4% of the contract. They don't really care about the 5% or 7.5% or 10% of the marketing because they're making 4% of 750000 or whatever. They're not really, they don't care about that marketing. So when they offer you 10%, 10% of nothing is nothing. They don't really care about it. And I see it happen. I cannot tell you how many times over the years where I've said, I've called an agent and said, might be a guy that's not exclusive to us and said, I have a corporate client they want. They're looking for the player to do X, Y, Z. And then three, four days, I'm not hearing back. It's not a priority for them, whatever. They found, oh, he's not going to do it. He's going to pass. He can't do it. Okay. And then I'm out at something and I see the player and I'm like, oh, that's so, I'm sorry that that, X thing didn't work out. And they look at you like you have three heads and say, I don't know what you're talking about. You know them because you've worked with them on another project. It's because it's not, for them, it's not a priority. Now, not all agencies are like this. I don't want to say that that's, but mm -hmm. when you're, a lot of these bigger agencies, um, they do have marketing arms to them. Um, but again, you also have to remember like, where are you in the pecking order, right? So if you're Sidney Crosby, you're probably gonna get a lot of attention. You know, if you're not, if you're a big name player in a small, but in a good market, I mean, I'd say a lesser known player, but in a good market like Boston, like even guys that are on the third and fourth line are getting opportunities. So Same with Edmonton, yeah, Edmonton is a big market. It's a great market. Right? It's a great market. So yeah. Toronto, Boston, um, you know, there, there, there's certain markets. I mean, the original sex are always going to be opportunity there. But again, if if you're not you know, high on the priority list in the agency um, or the agency is not really putting a lot of effort in that because they really mean when if they have 30 guys on the roster and they're making anywhere from, you know, 600 up, I forget what the start, what the base salary is now for them or rookies, but like it, for them, that's, they're not running their business model on the marketing dollars the way a company like mine is. So for us, we get paid when those things happen. They're getting paid that percentage on the contract, whether you do marketing, you don't, or the player mm -hmm. doesn't, doesn't do marketing. So um, finding the right marketing agent, I think, is really important. And I would say to the guys, like, that's your fun money. That's what you should be, should be investing your other money because you don't know how long your career could be. And this should be money and buy your mom something, your girlfriend something, go on a vacation with it. 
Um, so that other, those other dollars, yes, they make these athletes make a lot of money, but they could have a three year career and that could be it. And like you said, they maybe didn't go to college or what are they going to do next? Um, you know, if your knee gets blown out or whatever it might be. So, um, the marketing dollars can be, can be critical to, um, either building additional future nest egg or, um, allowing them to be able to do some fun things and not dip into those dollars that they're trying to save for a rainy day. So you're probably really tired of hearing about Flutie Flakes, but being from Calgary <laughs> and Canada, Doug Flutie's a household name here too. Uh, it was a hell of an idea. <laughs> yes. And I am never, I am never tired of hearing about Flutie Flakes. It was such a fun project to work on. Um, I had seen that this company, this private label company had done um, a couple of projects. They had done a NASCAR candy bar and they had, um, were just conceptualizing. I had seen something about doing a peanut butter for year and yogurt. And I'm like, oh my God, this idea is brilliant. I love this. Not that it hadn't been, you know, players that have been in weedy boxes for a long time, but actually having products, their own brand of products. So um, I called them up and I said, listen, this is my roster, guys. I got, we've got to do a project together. And they said, okay. So we narrowed it down. We talked about a bunch of guys. And I just said, you know, Doug is great, is a great candidate for this because he's the underdog and people love to root for the underdog. And he just has that, you know, that scrambling personality where he just gets things done. And so they, I sold them on the idea and then it was uh, trying to narrow down what product we were going to do. Well, Doug loves pizza. So we first contemplated doing um, a frozen pizza. <coughs> Excuse me. But people don't buy frozen pizza frequently. So we decided to do a cereal um, and landed on Frosted Flakes. That was Doug's choice, um, a Frosted Flake cereal. And... Um, yeah, I mean, it kind of took off. It was kind of like a, so many things fell into place. I also, I had a friend who went to Boston College with me and Doug is a BC alum too. So mm -hmm. who was working in LA. Doing he was the one with the Hail Mary pass, wasn't he? Yes. <laughs> so um, who was doing product placement um, on, in, for television shows. And so he was able to get Flutie Flakes on, um, the show ER and Everybody Loves Raymond and a few others. And so when you watched Everybody Loves Raymond, it was right on the refrigerator in the, the kitchen. This almost every other scene was shot in the kitchen. So it was, it had a very prominent location. And then, you know, Doug had just come back to the NFL in Buffalo. And um, it was just like, you know, he was playing great. Buffalo had been terrible for so many years. And then Jimmy Johnson stomped on the box. And so then that was all over the place. And it was like, you know, it was became this kind of thing. There's so many things kind of came, came together at one time. But we ended up selling like 2.7 million boxes of cereal. We were out. At all? <laughs> it was, you have to remember, it was only regional. So it sold. Yeah, um, but we bought them up here too. <laughs> so it was selling in Canada because we did introduce it. We did introduce it up into that market. But it was basically selling in New England um canada and then on the internet so we were out selling flutie kellogg's um frosted flakes um and it was in every store every end cap and it yeah. was just it was such a fun project and the greatest part of that was doug gave a portion of the proceeds to his foundation which did right. so much great work for autism they're still 
um, still thriving and they're an incredible um, organization for anybody who may have a child or a family member with autism. Um, they, you know, so that was, it was a fun project to work on. It had all these kind of crazy little things happening, but it also did a lot of good for a lot of people. So that was, um, yeah, that's kind of my, my, my little claim to fame there. And it's a feel good story for Doug Flutie too, because I think he was still, I think to the, even to this day, he's probably still waiting for money from Larry Rickman. <laughs> <laughs> the the Stampeders owner at the time yeah he kind of went awol um so what what is your advice to a potential client in choosing a, a firm um do your due diligence you know talk to several people ask a lot of questions right um i think the most important thing is people generally like to work with people that are similar to them make sure you have that you get that feeling when you meet it's not enough to say oh this person represents a b c d and they're going to represent me too you got to trust your gut right mm -hmm. so if you feel like you're connecting with this person having that connection you know is going to be imperative for communication but also you want someone that you know is going to make you a priority you know, whether it's contract negotiations or marketing, you want someone that's going to make you a priority. It's going to put your best interest forward first. And it's not always going to be just thinking about the dollar signs in their own mind. Um, so talk to several people. Um, rely on the people that are around you to help you make the decisions that you trust. Parents, siblings, maybe a best friend. Um, and be a girlfriend or a wife as well um and and really just again i i have a tendency to say like you've got to go with your you've got to go with your gut like what do you feel don't try to pick someone who just looks like you or i a, a very quick story so i i was pitching gerard mayo for representation his agent and called said look we want to find a marketing person would you be willing to to sit down with us um to be open with you we're going to be meeting with three other people I said, great, no problem. I'd love to. I'd done a little research on him. And I'm like, this guy has a great personality. So went into the meeting and I just, I was like, you know, you just like for me, I can only do me, right? I gotta and this and 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 the other thing is when they're selecting somebody, like look for the little red flags. Like if this person seems too good to be true or they're overpromising, they probably are. Um, so that's why you have to kind of go with your gut a little bit. But I went in, did my little pitch. And I remember walking out and, you know, had a, had a great conversation, met at like the residence inn or something to, for this. And um, I remember walking out thinking like, okay, so if I don't get this client. It's not because I'm not the best person for the job because I was convinced I was. And it's not, I'm not saying that to be arrogant or cocky. Mm -hmm. just, I just knew that I was the best person and could do the best job because I really felt I connected well with him. And I said, if I don't get the job, it's going to be because I'm not one of the two African-American males that are pitching for this, this position, uh, for this client. And um, interestingly enough, I ended up getting him as a client. But the interesting part was I said to afterwards, like, why did you guys pick me? Right. I really want to know. And they said, you walked out and said, I guess we have to hire the white girl. And I said, <laughs> And Gerard is just so funny. So I said, I started to laugh. And he's like, no, Kim, honestly, I just, I just felt like 
you were going to realize, and I knew, and by what you were saying, I could tell you knew what you were talking about, but really just having that connection, um, I, I said, it. I just knew that if there was any way I didn't get it, it was simply going to be because I was not an, um, an African-American male. Like that was the only way I was convinced I was going to lose. And as it turned out, I, I didn't lose, but, um, Gerard's a great guy, still a client. And so funny and doing amazing things now as a linebacker's coach for the Patriots. So, so what has this working in this industry taught you? Oh, that is a really good question. Do you know that nobody has ever asked me that? Oh, goody. <laughs> um, what has this industry taught me? Um, it has taught me that there are times you have to have a thick skin, um, that you... I am one of these people who wears my heart on my sleeve a little bit. I, 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 I like to think of it as a, um, you know, one of the good attributes for me, but it can be challenging right there because there are times during the industry, you know, like I, I, a lot of these clients become like, they feel like family to you. So if for some reason something doesn't go right or there's, um, you know, and I don't lose many clients, but I have a few that I have lost over the years or they do something and they don't tell you. It can be, I sometimes take it personal. And so I've learned like, I can't take it too personal, but to have the conversations like, why why did you do that? Or why didn't you include me? Or like um, having those conversations, the hard conversations can be tough, but they're necessary. So I would say having a thick skin um, to, I think, really appreciate and live in the moment, um, especially now with the pandemic um, is even reinforcing more, but I have been so lucky to do so many incredible, wonderful things. And I'm that much more cognizant now than I was 15 years ago to say like, I'm so lucky to be at the World Series right now, like doing whatever, or, you know, um, that we're not curing cancer, this is, we're not, this is not, you know, we're not, you know, this is not operating on people's brains, but we're providing a, a service and hopefully joy and um, excitement to a lot of people, the fans and so forth that are involved in different things. And we're lucky, right? I come to work. I am so lucky that 27 years later, I still love my job. I have so many friends that have made career changes or don't love their job that I went to law school with. And like, I just say like, you know what? Oh, everybody has a Monday where they get up after a beautiful long weekend and they've been at the beach or something. They say, oh, I feel like working today. But it's different than getting up and saying, oh, I hate my job. Mm -hmm. I don't ever say that. And I, um, I don't take for granted that I love it as much as I do. I, um, it can be challenging running your own business at times. Um, but I feel incredibly blessed that I have such wonderful clients and a great staff and I get to do something that I enjoy every day. I love problem solving and I love winning. I don't like to lose. So I get to use all those things and marry it in with my law degree. And I have a little bit of a, you know, the creative side of my brain. I get to utilize that too. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm lucky. I really am. That's a wonderful way to end the broadcast. Thank you so much, Kim. Thank you, Debbie. It was my pleasure. 
Hi, my name is Joe, and I'm a home decor overspender. Hi, Joe. I made a breakthrough. I found HomeSense. It's unreal. So many brand name sofas. I bought one. Oh, wow, really? It's okay. Yeah. The prices so low. Lighting unexpected. Rugs handcrafted. Wall art eclectic. I go back like every week. <gasps> no, it's always different. New unique decor. Same great savings every time you go. Field trip. HomeSense. Standout pieces. Outstanding prices.